Welcome back to Radiotherapy with me, Calypso. Well, that was the first time I've ever tried to do an intro. How did it go? I think it went okay. Anyways, this is going to be basically part of the series that I started, Read It or Don't. So this one is, and it also is part of like my Black Conservatism series that I've been doing. So this one is called Black Conservatism and its Critics. The author is David E. McLean. This was published by the Indiana University Press on the half of the Hatcherson Center for African and African American Research at Harvard. So this piece is basically more, it is a critique of people critiquing black conservatism. Um, an article that is specifically mentioned that I, that this is basically a response to. I've actually read it and I will at some point do kind of my own analysis of that, which is Anatomy of Black Conservatism by Professor Martin Kilson of Harvard. But anyway, so this one specifically is basically a response to all the criticism given by uh, other people in regards to black conservatism. The author is a black conservative. Um, and I think something that's interesting, and I feel like even I do this when I talk about issues that affect the black community and stuff like that. And I is this like weird, like a part, but not a part, you know, kind of talk this kind of like stuck in the middle situation, because you're trying to offer an analysis. But then you're also part of the group. So you go back and forth between like relating and putting yourself in it, but then putting yourself out of it all at the same time. Um, but overall, this is a super well written piece, a very well written response to um, the criticisms of black conservatism. So something that really stands out to me, like anytime I read an article that focuses on black conservatives, black conservatism, is this association with black conservatives being intellectuals, like black intellectuals. And they always point to specific, specific figures such as Thomas Sowell and Clarence Thomas um, and Shelby Steele. So what I think is kind of weird is like, so you have these black intellectuals, which is associated with black conservatism. Then you have your liberal thinkers. Um, and I think that's just so weird. So black intellectuals are black conservatives. Uh, liberal thinkers are, you know, the majority. I just think that the use of language is really interesting because it's like both of them deal with like intellectualism, but it's like as if black intellectuals are elitist, which is basically how they're viewed. But it's interesting how language portrays connotation, I guess, um, is something that I thought that stands out to me. Um, in this article, because it like, you know, you are hearing it constantly over and over again. And this is the second time that I've uh, shared with you an article, but I've read many articles, or second time that I'm sharing with you, but I've read many articles 
that talk about black conservatism and it's always this the definition of black conservative is black intellectuals and they're talking about very specific people it's not um blanket i guess is the only way that i could put it is it's not a blanket like all people who identify with conservatism um another thing to point out this article that i didn't say it was written in 1993 um So when you start to see, as we talked about in our previous article, uh, a rise of conservatism, um, which is like true and not true. It depends on how far you go back. If there was really like a rise of, if you would really call it like a rise or a resurgence of conservatism. Um, So yeah, I just wanted to say I will be doing a review of that. But um, let's get deeper into this article. This is actually going to be very, very long. So just FYI, because um, there's a lot to cover in this. And it's it's a short piece and it doesn't really break it up because it's really just like a response. Uh, like I said, a well-crafted response. So some of the things that gets pointed out in this article is like the criticism the critics of like that he points out is like the critics of black conservatives should no longer be tolerated. Um, and all of this is done through fear. So I think the way that I thought about this was that, so there's all this like, Fear that affects the way that black conservatives are viewed. Um, And I think there's just fear and a different way of thinking. Um, Because as he goes on in the article, he talks about how the name black conservative is kind of oxy, is kind of like an oxymoron. And this portrayal of them as traitors, Uncle Tom's, which another word that has taken on a meaning and a connotation far beyond what it was ever meant for is that's not the goal. It's not like they're trying to denounce their blackness. It's not like they're trying to do anything of that nature. It's just that that because they have a new view on how to deal with our old problems it's an issue, you know, because they're looking at a problem and they're saying, well, hey, how about we look at it this different way? But because people have looked at it the same way for so long, it's hard for them to see a different way. So I think that this new phenomenon also uh, that that we're seeing in terms of people thinking like black conservatives are new, I think this idea of the new phenomenon comes around every few years when you start to see black conservatives because they're not on the forefront. And I think that this Trump, blacks for Trump, was just like a slow build, um, just based off of this article and other articles I've read. I think it was just a slow build to this point. And I hope that even after Trump is gone, that black conservatives start being more in the forefront um, just because I think it will be 
beneficial for the overall politic of like America, you know? Um, so there's also this painting of conservatives as elitist. So basically black conservatives part of this elite group and this goes into the class issue that I'm pretty sure that I've shared with you before this idea that they then are giving up pieces of themselves so they can therefore uh now they have the money now they just start feeding into these conservative ideals in order to better fit in with white society and this is the thing I think that is pointed out really good in this article is that it's like he says, like, no, we still know we're black. We still understand our history. But what we are trying to do is not rely on the government and lie and rely on ourselves and trust in ourselves and stuff. So there's a lot of great questions that come up that I will continue to go on. But one of the questions that came to my mind outside of the language thing, and this is like towards the beginning, is why the critics of black conservatism have to depict black conservatives as like anti-black self-hating, like as if there's a seduction of empire that exists that changes them. Um, so I, I wonder why the choice of the depiction, I guess, and why there is association with like, anti-blackness or like this self-hate um i think it's interesting that it's a pit identity against identity kind of thing like you have to make a choice and if you choose one way you're choosing wrong you know what i mean like two very integral parts of yourself um i would say like what you look like so this is a thing about race like I can go into a whole entire tangent about this, but I will try and make it short, given how long this is going to be. Race. This is the way that I view race, and I think that this is the way that every that more more people need to start viewing it because it has race has everything to do with what you look like, has nothing to do with who you are. I think who you are is important. That's amazing, but what you look like is more important. And that's the thing that I think defines your race more than anything else. But that's just me. Anyways, moving on, moving on before I go off on that tangent. So uh, moving on. So it's also this idea of labeling. So he kind of pushes back on the use of the term black conservative. Like he's saying that that is not an accurate term. Um, so the things that black conservatives do don't align with what conservatives do. So he makes a distinction that like we're given this label, um, but it doesn't actually fit the kind of like joke he makes or what I think is really funny is he goes... Uh, to our critics, if it looks like a duck, walks like a cat, and barks like a dog, it's a duck. So he kind of pushes back on this idea of labeling, but I think what's important to point out in that is that labeling is about simplicity, and it's about how we relate. It's about, like, our ability to talk to each other. Um, and I think, yes, perhaps the term black conservative is oversimplified, but I think 
oversimplification is the goal of labeling, which is why I think more people don't like them. And I think why we're getting more and more generations that are super anti-label. But the thing is, like, I have to have a way to identify you. I have to find have a way to, like, talk to you and get your attention and different things like that. Um, so I think that's where it becomes complicated because all of, like, labels are complicated because you're encompassing so many people under that umbrella. And so part of them can identify with um, a piece of it and then another part of them can't which I which is why I think people are so mad at like moderates um, people who exist in the middle of the political spectrum because it's like this they're an unknown they're like oh what do I can I predict what these people are gonna do nope you never know you're just like waiting patiently to find out um, another question that came to mind for me was why becoming like why become an openly black conservative, which is something that's becoming more popular, especially on social media, like people are coming out um, as black conservatives on social media. And so I think for me, at least with that, um, I wonder why people want to come out as black conservatism, black conservatives, given the backlash that they receive. But I also am wondering, given the digital age that we live in, how meaningful that coming out is. You know what I mean? I think it's great that people are finding ways to connect. But I just think if like, I don't know how I feel about using that as a mechanism to come out about your political beliefs. Cause I just don't, I feel like I'm more like motivation. Like, why are you doing that? What are your goals? Is this really what you believe? You know what I mean? It's like Milo Yiannopoulos to me. It's like some of the things he said, I'm like, you are a clickbait. You are a troll. Like what is going on with you, sir? But anyways, moving on, as I say so often, because I can go off on so many tangents. Uh, so there's also this belief by liberals that black conservatives are self-interested, which I think is probably furthest from the truth. Um, but I think since they call for so much self-reliance, I think that's where there's this disconnect of what the goal of conservative black conservatives is, is that they're saying you should be self-reliant and we also need to be community reliant is what it is that they're saying. And I think that that just gets lost in translation. Um, so another question that came to mind was why can't you own your identity and your politics? Once again, this hashtag life in the middle, um, but I've kind of already addressed that, but that's something that was just reoccurring to me all throughout this is why can't you own both? I think it's for black people, it's hard for you to own your political identity and also own your ethnicity. It's like you have to choose, you know what I mean? It's like because you there's this stereotype of you being a certain way. You have to identify that way. Um, 
this article talks about like the memory enemy that is brought up by Shelby Steele and it talks about this focus on like slavery and the misfortunes of black people. So there's a lot of focus that he talks about like, oh, liberals are always talking about this. So um, and he also discusses uh, Mary, uh, Mr. Kilson's analysis of Shelby Steele's uh, memory enemy. Um, but the key thing is, why are we, why are liberals so focused on the past? Um, and he makes the point that America's mistake is basically not a new mistake. It's something that's happened all over the world. So in a sense, why are we still focusing on it? And our intentional focus on it is detracting us from progress, basically. Um, which, I mean, that is one of those things that is debatable. But he does say, and I loved this, I like, he has so, a few things I'm like, dang, that was like amazing diction. Uh, so American, uh, like, basically, he's talking about the experience of America and about how there's this uniqueness of the imagination of what we've experienced, um, which is actually not unique at all, but it's a uniqueness that black leaders seem to subscribe to it. But we are not the only culture that has been enslaved and blah, 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 blah. And then it made me think, and it, and it talks about this, the psychological, he talks about the psychological scars of one, I think, at least in my understanding of all that has happened to black people, but our con constant focus on it and its impact. And it led me to the question is, is black America broken and can we fix it? Because if it's a psychological war, which I think it is, at this point in time, I think I do err on the side of one, I'm not looking for the government and I'm not looking for the man or whatever you want to call it, uh, something external out of myself to be successful. But I also think we don't have the community investment that we need. We don't have black people investing in black people. And I think that I will dive deeper into that further on into this when I address this part where he talks about Jews and the and this is where he kind of debunks Mr. Kilson's uh rhetoric around uh Shelby Stills memory enemy because he uses Jewish people as an example and I think the key thing to point out there is that Jewish people were persecuted and it goes back um, as he points out all the way into antiquity uh, back to like Egypt and stuff but they have a culture they have a language they have a religion they have all these things that connect them and I think this is the disconnect is that black people don't have that and it's like is that the only thing that connects us, this slavery, this segregation, are those, is racism all we have to cling to? And if it is, that means that we are Americans, 
number one, because I think that's a, that history is something that we all share. Um, and I think that it's not necessary for us to focus on it. I think that that's the thing, um, to put it metaphorically, that puts the black in black American. You know what I mean? When it should just be American. Because there was a loss, there is a disconnect among black people. And I think it exists because of the fact that you now have black people, one, living these different lives. And the only way for major leaders to connect black people is through a history that, of course, has bearing on our on our present. But also, we have not acknowledged the strides that have been made or, uh, to put us where it is that we are now and recognize our own progress and the fact that we need to go, the society as a whole has progressed. So now it's time for us to go into our own communities and do that uh, progression as well. Okay. So I'm wondering what's missing because he points out that Shelby Steele's uh, memory enemy might be too simplistic, I guess, Uh, an assessment of like what is going on in these communities that have experienced genocide and slavery and different things like that. So I'm wondering like, what is missing? Like these is it like an in-depth angle on genocide and the slavery of specific groups and the evidence of the after effects? You know what I mean? Like what happened after these communities left? Or what happens when these communities get free? And what is it that they have done? So I'm wondering if there's just like an angle that we're missing or if we're not doing as in-depth analysis analyses. I don't know how to say that, but um, of the after effects of genocide and how groups uh, become successful after periods of genocide or periods of slavery, or I should say periods of attempted genocide. Um, so, and I still go back to the question too, trusting the man, why? Why And then I think it's not so much trusting the man, but it's this idea of becoming the man is the other thing. It's like liberals don't want the government to go away or anything like that. It's just like they want to become the government because right now they are not the government. They're not the majority. Um, so I, I think that that's really interesting. It's not... there's still this need to dominate to dominate there's still this need uh to be in control and I think that this shows a lack of imagination uh and I think that's what a lot of queer scholars and uh just scholars that are out there just queering up our points of view I think that's what they want us to see is that we have sort of a lack of imagination. All we know is dominance. All we know is violence. Um, But what does a world look like without that? 
Or can there be a world that's not like that? Can we coexist and can we compromise, I think, is key. And I think that's the question there is how do we not just try to become the dominant, but how do we learn how to listen? How do we learn how to understand? Um, A key theme in this whole entire piece is basically this lack of understanding uh, by liberals of conservatives. You know, it's like they're not seeking to understand why black conservatives exist. They are just trying to discredit them so they don't have to deal with the analysis of how these wonderful institutions such as the NAACP are also problematic or how our political leaders are also problematic or how they might not be addressing proper issues and also how they're not looking at current data and why are they still holding on to things that have no bearing on our life anymore um, or don't have a sufficient enough bearing on our life anymore might be a better way to say it and this I think also goes into the whole idea is that we still have the same old problems but basically conservatives are just coming up with new solutions and they believe that through community organizing the the uplifting of the black community is possible and it is and they also think that it's impossible to eliminate racism there's nothing you can do about that but what you can do is make your group a group that has the proficiency and the potent and the potency to be successful regardless of that and be recognized for their merit um, so I think that's something that really shines throughout this piece as well. Um, another question I had is why can't the black community be self-reliant? You know what I mean? I, I think that, uh, he also brings up in this is that, is the fact that, uh, a third of black Americans at this point were in the middle class. I think that I got that number right. Um, So that becomes, now we're getting into class issues, which I'll talk about later. But why is there this belief out there that there can't be self-reliance? And I also think that it's the distrust um, that exists within the black community that is hindering black people because they don't trust one another. And that I think that that distrust um, comes from maybe a little bit of epigenetics. Maybe it also comes from living in a community where the people most likely to hurt me look like me. You know what I mean? And that's just common sense. Wherever you live, those people are more likely that those are the people who are going to turn on you or do anything because you're in such a close proximity. But... Moving on from there, 
I don't really have answers to most of the questions that I pose, but hey, if you've got them, good on ya. Why are we still holding on to the social gospel? Why haven't we evolved or awakened or acknowledged what the what the world had that the world has changed? So this came out of basically this was a question that I I have because a lot of focuses on this is about that memory enemy. It's about racism. It's about the NAACP and all this stuff. And there's still this clinging to, I think, within uh, liberal groups to Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, and we have yet to evolve past that. Um, so I'm wondering why we're still holding on to this social gospel um, and I'll do a whole entire piece that just focuses on basically like religion and the way that it plays into our politics. Um, but this social gospel is what, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. subscribed to. So I'm just wondering, like, why are we still clinging to that? You know what I mean? Because that generation is the, is, which is referred to as the lost generation, that's, uh, Kennedy died, Martin Luther King died, you know what I mean? So these people that were amazing figures that people thought were going to do really wild things, like a very pivotal moment in our nation's history, all of that potential was gone. So I think maybe as a society, we're just holding on to that hope that that change is going to come rather than evolving into that change. All right. Uh, it it's also talks about group-induced behavioral change. So that's basically saying that going into that whole thing that we've talked about before, that moral change that needs to happen within the black community, like the upping of morals, which is, I think, closely associated to uh, religion. But that's just me. And then... Another question that I think should be posed to the black community is like, are we fighting each other? Are we doing the white man's job for him? You know what I mean? I think that that's a really big question. And I think part of it to me is like, can't you just not rob your neighbor? You know what I mean? Like, just like these very simple things. Like, why do you have to shoot this person? Why do you have to beat this person up? Like, those questions seem so like, I know that they sound ridiculous, but I also think that they're real questions that I have because I don't fully understand it. Like, part of me does understand it. Like, I guess I understand it from an intellectual perspective. I'll say that. Um, just like uh, I've shared with you, uh, Nikki Jones's book, Between Good and Ghetto. I think that gave me an understanding of what happens in these communities but it still like doesn't completely make sense to me you know like I don't get it why you know it's very much that survival of the fittest mentality and I just and and I think that that exists in all aspects but I don't understand I guess the physicality of it 
and the damage. I don't know how you can willingly damage your own community with drugs and whatnot and everything in between and just violence in general. But um, another thing that came to mind, too, for me was like, where does white guilt fall in all of this? Because I think a lot of this, like a lot of articles when they, and this one, too, is like, you're focusing on critiquing uh, black conservatives. This one is doing the exact opposite. It's critiquing those that critique black conservatism um, from a black conservative's perspective. But I'm wondering where, because as I talked about before, you have the black community that it's like is the only thing that connects the black community, this slavery, this segregation, and I'm wondering where white guilt falls in all of this. I'm wondering where, where does it, what, what is, is that the burden of white people and the way that they deal with it is extreme racism or extreme guilt? Um, how they deal with the fact that we, that we as Americans have to deal with this history. So I'm just wondering where white guilt falls and is that, um, is that where it is? I don't know. Moving forward. So the other thing that he points out is it, is that he feels that liberals are problem based and conservatives are more solution based. Um, so this idea of like, okay, you're waiting for the government to give you this, or, you know, you're waiting for racism to go away or whatever. And miraculously black people are going to end up at the top. And I think that the thing that frustrates him is like that mentality shows a lack of faith within, uh, the belief within the community and black conservatives, I guess, are optimists. And I think that is very clear when you read a lot of black conservatives pieces is that they are optimistic about America and about the free market. Um, so the, I already talked about the class issue. Um, so this, I like his use of the word externalities. So this, uh, he says, for liberals, it seems more expeditious politically and otherwise to lean on a sense of victimhood and to continue to blame externalities for the problems of African-Americans. Um he also talks about natural self-promotion, which uh, David Banner kind of touched on once. He said black Americans need to be a little bit more racist, or he said black people need to be a little bit more racist. And so what he, when he says natural self-promotion is like what we are viewing as institutionalized racism is just uh, natural self-promotion. It's like, well, and I think it's also it's bias and it's might be a little bit of clouded racism but it isn't outright intentional so that you know it's not unbiased like they talk about not recognizing your own biases or whatever but at the same time I think that also might 
be not right because then it also plays into the whole moral aspect of it um, rather than the race aspect of it. I think if they found somebody who was very similar to them, regardless of race, they would potentially, uh, you know, put that person in a position. But that's just me thinking about it. But he does say that this natural self-promotion that we view as institutionalized racism is not real or it's not meant in the way that we are seeing it um okay the other question i had was why do black see why do black why don't black see power within themselves and so then i you know i go off on this whole thing about white jesus um because i think that that plays a very key role in that and like I said I think also it's the epigenetics I think it's the lack of success association I don't think that black people see themselves being associated with success that often and if it is it's rare or it's in very specific fields outside of the fact that I will say outside of entertainment per se even though you know actually I was going to say Neil deGrasse Tyson but then I think about it he is also an entertainer but um he entertains in a very like smart way you know what I mean like the, the topics and different things that he talks about so I don't know might be pushing it a bit there but I think there's just a lack of success association and when you do see it it does tend to come from media or celeb types it's not just like oh my gosh there's a really great black lawyer or something like that um and you don't always see it in tv because tv has all these other problematic things going on where you're like oh my gosh it's so great to see like this strong black woman in this place but then you're like why is she dating the president who's married or like why is she promiscuous or why can't she decide whether or not she wants to be with guys or girls you know what I mean so there's all these other potentially problematic things going on wherein you see black people in positions of success uh, on tv that doesn't just make it a clear success association I guess for me at least when I'm looking at it I'm like do they not realize that this is low-key problematic um another one is why are uh most black silent and why aren't they asked their their political opinions so this question to me comes out of the fact that like so he does say that uh one-third of African-Americans are considered middle class. So why is there this silence? Why isn't there this pushback in terms of slavery, segregation, this memory enemy? Why isn't there any pushback on that when you have a very significant portion of black people living well? You know what I mean? And that's where I came to the conclusion or I kind of was telling you earlier that like maybe this is the only thing that we have to connect on. You know what I mean? That this is the thing, this is the glue that's holding the ship together. And if the ship falls apart, what do we have? We still have our Americanism. Um, But that's just me. 
we must be willing to suffer for success. I think people think that we should just automatically be at the top. It's going to be like this miraculous thing. And it's like, that's not really how it works. I think we have to invest in black businesses. We have to seek out for ourselves if we want a black person to be our orthodontist, to be our psychiatrist, to be our teachers, we have to create those spaces, number one, and we have to seek those spaces out. Um, so, and I think that part of that comes with suffering. You don't automatically get to become a millionaire. And I also think this comes too with not always leaving your community when you become successful, but reinvesting in to your community and but I also think that's really hard and this is where I think that there has to be this cultural shift we have to stop focusing on greed I I say this all the time I think that black people are the only people who have really like deeply ingrained individualism and um, like all the worst characteristics of what it means to be American in terms of greediness and all this stuff. So that is hindering our success as a community. If your man makes, if someone um, where you live starts making money, they start hustling and they start reinvesting in the community, why are you going to go out and rob them? Why are you going to go out there and kill them? That logically to me does not make sense except for the fact that you are a selfish piece of trash. You know what I mean? And like I said, that's just that internalized individualism. But moving on. So this is a really great piece. I definitely think it's a... Worth reading. I don't think it necessarily answers why somebody becomes a black conservative, but I think it does address the critiques. Um, I do want to point out that so, what like kind of what he says, and I think is uh, this last section, and I will just Oh, should I just do it? I'm just going to read you the whole thing. This whole, this thing is going to be like an hour long anyway. So if you've made it this far, amazing for you. Um, so his last paragraph, I think is so powerful. Uh, like great, like, I'm like, this is great speech material as I'm reading it. I mean, his use of diction is amazing. But he says, in summary, African Americans today can overcome more easily than at any other time in our history, any racist barrier thrown in our way. It is certainly time to destroy the notion that racism is the white ramp separating us from triumph. Without a massive positive movement, a movement that is looking forward and not looking and not backward looking, a movement that challenges us to raise out of misfortune, out of the misfortunes of our history, the daily feelings of inferiority that sweep across the minds of African Americans will simply be handed down from one generation to the next. Most important, if we do not hasten our progress, we will be we will continue to be marginalized. Black, black conservatives see this as a probable outcome. 
unless Amer- African Americans cease decry- decrying the establishment, tap our own strength, fight for our communities, assist and nurture our own children, embrace our Americanness as well as our Africanness, and establish our own success without reliance on government while at the same time becoming more intolerant of our failures. In essence, this last sentence is what black conservatism is about. So why call it black conservatism and not black pragmatism? Perhaps that is a question best answered by our critics. Given an understanding of the American political right, black conservative, is a is an undeserved oxymoron. It will, I'm sure, be a label that will continue to be worn reluctantly by most of us. So I love that last sentence because I that last paragraph, my bad. Because one, I think the beginning is really strong. And I think it comes out there swinging and I think it's called it has a call to action. Um, And his diction choice is amazing. And I love the fact that he's calling into question the whole black conservative identity. And what what it's really saying is like what we're doing isn't working. Let's do something different. But it's not something that's automatically denying blackness. Instead, it's like building it up. And like I said, I'm going to discuss this in this piece that I do specific uh, that I've read specifically on religion and stuff like that to go deeper into the idea of this black optimism, this black pragmatism, this oxymoron and the variations of black conservatism that exist. Um, Because while people might uh, identify with these labels, they are not something like it's like we were talking about that simplicity, but then it gets more complex and the deep, the more complex, the deeper you dive. So I hope you really enjoyed this piece. Like I said, this is my analysis and everything else that I gave you in this of black conservatism and its critics. This, the author was David E. McLean. This was published in 1993 in the Indi- Indiana University Press on the behalf on the behalf of the Hutchinson Center for African and African American Research at Harvard. Thank you. I'm going to do my first outro. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of Radiotherapy with your host Calypso. Until next time.